Jeremiah chapter 10. Here in this chapter, Jeremiah exposes the idols of the people of Judah. Their desire to worship other things and chase after false gods. Now, I recently heard about a a trophy recycling program. So you earn a trophy for some childhood project, but you hate to throw it away. And so you find a place that will recycle it, perhaps put a new engraving on for a nonprofit organization so that the trophy could be used again, but most of the time they just break it down into parts and drop it in a recycling dumpster. But but you and I are, are hesitant to do that. And actually, one of, the, one of the commentators on this pointed out, you spend more shipping this old trophy back than it costs to buy a new trophy. Now, why? Why would you spend more money than it costs to recycle it? Well, maybe there is some sort of good environmental motive, but, but really I think the motive is that we just hate to give up on success. However long ago it was, however fleeting it may be, however insignificant it might be now, we want to hold on to our own gods, the gods of our own making, our own success. Listen to God's word, Jeremiah chapter 10. Hear what the Lord says to you, O house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not revere you, O king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the, na- among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. What the craftsmen and goldsmiths have made is then dressed in blue and purple, all made by skilled workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders the waters in, heaven, in the heavens roar, he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. His images are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. This is God's word, a challenge to us as we hear it. I invite you to bow your heads as I pray.
Lord God Almighty, I pray that as we listen and look at your word, that you would challenge our hearts, Lord, that, that we would not be resistant to the work, even the hard work your spirit will do in us, exposing sin, confronting our idolatry. Lord, I pray that, that as we come with questions, with doubts, with fears, with concerns, with anxiety, with worry, that we would find an answer, a solution. We would find real and lasting hope in Jesus, our Savior. Lord, point us toward the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Last year, Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, won an advertising award for his work as a spokesman for different campaigns. And when he accepted this Clio, he basically made fun of everyone else who had won an award that night. Now, he's a comedian, so you expect him to, to joke around, but he says, he says, this award, this trophy proves my worth, at least until I step off the stage and have to prove it again somewhere else. He says, but I know this award is valuable because 25 years ago, back in 1991, when the award ceremony went awry, the, the MC lost track of the, the rest of the winners, and they basically kind of canceled the award show in the middle of dinner. So up on the stage are all of the awards that have yet to be given out. He says, I, I know my award today is really important because in 1991, when everything fell apart, people fought over the leftover awards. These advertising executives who had just had this fancy meal climbed over each other, fought their way onto the stage, and wrestled each other to take home these awards. And he points out the the obvious foolishness of that, displaying a trophy that, well, you may not have even won. And yet, we are willing to climb over other people, push them out of our way to get the things we want. For you, it might not be a Clio award. You may never even heard of one or ever care about that. But there are other things in your life that you'd climb over others to get, Success, power, recognition, sex, pleasure, stuff. And so when we listen to Jeremiah 10, while the, while the images are ancient, an idol fashioned with gold and silver, the reality is us. Jeremiah is speaking to us, challenging our idolatry. And so as we, as we consider his, his depiction of idolatry here in this first section of Jeremiah 10, I want us to, to look at an idol's construction, an idol's power, and then an idol's destruction. This passage is really a, a polemic, an argument against idolatry wrapped in with a psalm, a song of praise to the one true God. And, he, and, and Jeremiah bounces back and forth between the two, almost mocking those of us who would worship idols. Because look at what he says about an idol's construction. In verse 3, he, he, he describes the process, a process that, that everyone who had an idol in their home would have understood, that somebody went out into the woods, cut down a tree, took a piece of wood to a craftsman, paid money to have that object shaped into a god or goddess, 
Then it was verse 4, we're told, it handed over to, a, to somebody who would, who would overlay it with silver and gold, fasten it with hammer and nails, and then mount it somewhere in their home so that it could be worshipped. Now, when you put it like that, it sounds a little bit silly. But, but when, you, when you stop and consider the image, it's, it's actually an image that's beautiful. I mean, this idol is invested with a lot of time and energy. The idol is, is one that's shaped with the finest materials that you could get, silver and gold. Or, or look at verse 9 as he, as he describes the gold and silver, and then the, the craftsmen have made this, and, and then it's dressed in blue and purple. And those are the colors of, those are the hardest colors to get in the ancient world because the dyes are expensive. And so this is, you're, you're treating this, this small but beautiful image as the most important thing in your life. And, and that's the danger of idolatry is, is that it really is something beautiful. When you and I chase after something, we tend to chase after things that, that were given to us by God as good gifts. Silver and gold, purple and blue, finery. We chase after the, the relationships that God has given us, the vocation that God has given us, the things in this world that God has given us. But, but the danger is we, we make these good things ultimate. And why? Why would we chase after these kinds of things? Well, look back at verse 2. It's because we look around us, as the people of Israel and Judah were doing, and we learn the ways of the nations. We think, this is normal. This is expected. You, you are meant to make as much money as is possible. That is the goal of life. That's the dream you've been given. You should be comfortable. You should be happy. You shouldn't have to worry about tomorrow. We chase after what, what others tell us is important, and, and those things become good to us and great and wonderful, and, and we want them. Pastor Phil Reichen, whom I've mentioned previously because his commentary on, on the prophet Jeremiah is, is helpful, pastoral in tone, he says that, that Jeremiah is just pointing out what's, what's in our hearts today, even in the 21st century. We want the things that, that people around us tell us are important. We want the, the satisfaction of, of being in control, of managing others. We chase after the allure of sexual pleasure, the comfort of being well-liked, the exhilaration of making it to the top of your field, the relaxation of a luxury vacation, the security of, of retirement and investment protections. Now, Judah, it's, it's easy to identify their idols. You just walk in the house and you can point to them. There it is. It's in the most prominent place of your life. But the same is true for us. Some of us, we could actually point to the things we, we've made into idols. Others of us, they're, they're more intangible kinds of things like power or pleasure. But you could identify them by saying, well, what is, what is of most significance in your life? What are you spending your time and your money and your energy chasing? Now, they might be good things you're chasing, and so that question is really meant to ask us, is, do you have a disproportionate desire for these things? Do you want them more than you want God, or do you want them more than you should? Or maybe ask yourself this question. 
Because back in verse 2, the, the people are terrified. They're, they're anxious. They're afraid. What is it that keeps you awake at night? What are you anxious about right now? Because asking that question will, will start to show you what's most important to you. What you think you have to have. Or maybe ask this question. When's the last time you just lost it? And I don't mean necessarily like shouting, screaming, throwing things, although that may have been it. I mean, even just in the silence of the, the seething silence of your own head, you lost it in anger. Because when idols get knocked off of the shelf, these things that you've invested so much time and money and energy in, and they get knocked down, they topple over, well, the anger wells up within us. And so maybe you can, can begin to put your finger on, on what it is that's, that's captured your heart by, by asking, what is it that makes you angry? So you and I are people who, maybe not with hammer and nails, but we are people who are quick to construct idols, to chase after things in this life. Jeremiah shows us an idol's power. It's, it's we've seen in its, in its beauty, in the pleasure that it offers us, because the good things of this life are meant to satisfy us, but not ultimately to satisfy us. They're meant to be good things as, as gifts given by God so that we recognize, wow, God is really great to give me this good thing, to give me this relationship, to let me live here. But the people are afraid that they'll lose what they have. They're terrified, as verse 2 tells us, by these signs in the sky, checking their horoscopes in the paper, worried about what the gods may or may not do. And that's how an idol gets power over us, is through that fear of, of what if I don't get it? What if I don't achieve my goals? What if I don't have the, the thing that I want? But, but you notice the... the the foolishness is that idols ultimately have no power. Look, look at the image that Jeremiah uses in verse 5. An ancient image, but one that still makes a lot of sense to us. He says, like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. Okay. The scarecrow might be dangerous enough to chase away a bird. Maybe. Although often farmers have to do more work than just a scarecrow. Because even the birds can eventually figure out that that scarecrow isn't going to do me any harm. And, and, and Jeremiah mocks it. The, the scarecrow cannot speak, has to be carried out into the field because he obviously can't walk. See, the idols that you chase after are like a, a motionless and mute scarecrow. They can't give you what you want. And so, Jeremiah tells us in verse 8, they're senseless and foolish. You and I are senseless and foolish when we follow after, when we listen to, when we pursue worthless wooden idols. But when we follow after an idol, they end up controlling us. Because you, you have to have it. And so you'll, you'll restructure your life around getting this thing that you want. You'll trample over people to, to get up on stage and, and, and grab for yourself that recognition. I mean, the language that, that Jeremiah applies to the idols, the fact that they're worthless, they're senseless, 
he then turns around and applies to the people who worship idols. See, the thing that is most important in your life will ultimately define you. It will end up, you, you will be described by what you want most. Look at, look at what he says in verse 14. He's, he's already earlier in the chapter called idols senseless and worthless. And now in verse 14, he calls everyone who chases after an idol is senseless and without knowledge. The goldsmith is shamed by his idols because his images are fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. Because the idols you and I construct won't fully satisfy. Food cannot satisfy your desires. Sex, as wonderful as it is in this life, cannot ultimately satisfy you. Stuff, no matter how nice, no matter how expensive, no matter how new it is, will tarnish. Yes, you and I are made to eat. We're physical creatures, and so food is a good gift given to us by God. A good meal shared with family is a pleasure, a real and meaningful pleasure. But it can't be the most important things in our lives. You and I are made by God to live in bodies and in, in the beauty of a marriage relationship. Sex is meant to be something wonderful and good. But it cannot, if you, if you orient your life around it, you will be disappointed because it's a gift, it's not a God. Yes, we are made to make stuff, to produce it, to enjoy it, to use it. And so the good gifts that you have are just that, gifts from God. They cannot become gods themselves because they are worthless and without knowledge. I mean, think of the, the, the imagery that Jeremiah uses repeatedly here, silver and gold. These are idols that are worth something. They are valuable. It costs a lot of money to, to make these idols. It, a lot has been invested into these gods. Now, for you and I, when, when we use silver and gold, when we chase after money, we, we might do it because, well, it will give me security. I will, I will know that I can survive today and tomorrow and perhaps all the way through life. But what's the problem if, if, your, if your treasure, if your wealth becomes your God? Because it's going to keep you safe and secure, then you have to get more of it. You have to secure it for yourself. You have to hang on to it because you see, you've watched the markets. You know how, how hard it is to keep hold of money, how, how volatile the world is. And so if, if your money becomes your God, then you, then you hoard it and you won't use it for God's glory. You'll invest it in yourself. You'll, you'll fashion it into, into an idol. Now, others of you, that's not your struggle when it comes to money. For you, money is meant to make you happy. It's meant to give you pleasure. And so when you get some, you're going to use it and spend it to make yourself happy. But, but in the end, it will end up controlling you because as you spend it, you'll need more because the, the pleasure won't last. You'll have to spend more next week and perhaps bigger amounts to keep yourself happy. Do you see the, the danger? If, if money becomes ultimate to us, then it, it controls us because our worries, our fears... Our hearts 
are invested in it. When instead, the treasures of this world, they belong to God. God made the earth by his power. Everything, it's all his. And so if you see it as a good gift, then you can hold it with with open hands. When somebody has a need, you can say, I have resources to meet that need. When you hear the, the vision of the gospel going forth to the nations, you can say, I've got a way to make that happen. It's here. It's God's silver and gold. Because now money doesn't control you. You can use it as a good gift for the glory of the true God. Because in the end, no matter how beautiful, no matter how wonderful that momentary pleasure is, in the end, an idol is just an idol. It's silent. It's impotent. It's worthless. Are you chasing after what is most valuable? Kenny Sailors invented the jump shot in basketball. Back in the 1930s, he would play basketball with his six foot five inch tall brother. Kenny was only five feet ten inches. So instead of getting the shot blocked back into his face, standing flat-footed like everyone did in that time and shooting the ball with two hands, Kenny decided the only way I'm going to get up and over my brother is to jump and time my release just as I hit the, the peak of my shot. Now, to you and I, that's common sense. If you've ever picked up a basketball, that's how you shoot a basketball now. But not until Kenny Sailors figured it out. Life magazine actually caught a picture of him playing high-level college NCAA basketball in Madison Square Garden. Every other player looks glued to the floor, except Kenny Sailors, soaring above them, knocking down shots. He was a three-time NCAA All-American, won a national championship for Wyoming, He played five years in the NBA, revolutionized the game. Every kid who saw that picture in in Life magazine figured out this is a much better way for a little kid like me to shoot a ball. Kenny's now in his 90s, and he describes his success. He says, the one thing that has stood the test of time in my life, the one thing that has stood the test of time is God. He satisfied me in a way that all the fame and success on the basketball court never could. Nothing compares with my experience with Christ and the life I've had in him. Nothing in this world can even come close. Sailor's name is is often in the discussion for the NBA Hall of Fame. As one of those pioneers of the game, one of those men who, who without him, basketball just wouldn't be what it is today. And this is, this is how he responds when, when asked in interviews. What would you think of getting into the Hall of Fame? He says, if I were to make it to the Hall of Fame today, yeah, it would be nice. But I know that I belong to, to an even greater Hall of Fame. My name's written in God's book. I have eternal life with God in heaven. And, and when you belong to that, when you know you belong to it, and you don't worry about then these halls of fame that men create down here, they don't mean that much to you. 
See, Kenny's figuring out what Jeremiah is teaching us. What's it look like to destroy an idol? It's to see it for what it is. It's a man-made recognition. It's a man-made statue. It doesn't matter how fancy it is. It's still just a block of wood dressed up in silver and gold with a fancy robe on it. That's what you and I need to see. The things we chase after, it's just stuff. But more than that, Kenny, Kenny points out to us the only way to actually get rid of the idol in your life is to place God on the throne that is his. Because you and I are people who are going to worship something. That's what it means to be a person made by God. You are a worshiper. Something in your life will have ultimate significance. I don't care how low energy you are and and how low down your list starts. Something is at the top of your list. And the only way to knock the idol off its shelf, you don't just take it off and, and leave the empty spot where it used to be. You need someone to worship. And do you see what Jeremiah does in this passage? He bounces from showing you how foolish an idol is, but then he says, because there's someone better. You want a a block of wood? I will show you the God who made the heavens and the earth. God who, who sends the clouds rolling across the forests, sending rain to cause the tree to grow, and yet you're content with a little piece of wood. Only God deserves all of our focus and attention. The, the, the phrase is repeated in here. There is no one like you, O Lord. You are great. Your name is mighty in power. Look at, look at verse 7, how, how Jeremiah describes God. Who should not revere you, O king of the nations? This is your due. Everyone in the universe should acknowledge that God is the greatest. That's what he deserves. That's the starting point. Is God's ultimate power and authority. Verse 10, Jeremiah tells us, The Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is the eternal king. Jeremiah just piles these phrases on. Your your scarecrow is mute. God speaks and universes are formed. Your scarecrow can't walk. And yet God has all of the power that we can declare him to be the Lord Almighty. God is eternal. See, the the people of of Jeremiah's time should have worshipped the one true God because they knew him. This living God had rescued the people of Israel. This living God was there dwelling among them in their temple. And yet they chose a scarecrow rather than God. They chose a wooden idol rather than the living God of the universe. And idols make us, make us fools. We make foolish decisions. We chase after them. But what does God do? He invites us into a living and true relationship. God actually satisfies our longings and our desires. Because unlike idols, which ultimately end up just using and abusing us, because they can't satisfy, and so we just keep chasing after them, God fully satisfies us. 
And so we can find peace, even in the midst of turmoil. Remember the context of the book of Jeremiah. Everything is falling apart, and yet God is the true God. Jeremiah can have confidence in him. God fully satisfies us because he is the living God in relationship with us, and God does not use us or abuse us. And consider the, the way that, that God is, is described for us at the end of this, this passage that we read in verse 16. God is the portion of Jacob. And so he's not like the, the false idols, for he's the maker of all things, including Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. There's a relationship established here. The people of Israel the Old Testament church, are described as God's inheritance. They belong to him. But did you notice the description of God? He is the portion of Jacob. He belongs to them. When God enters into relationship with us, he unites us to himself. We we are his. He is our, our portion and our purpose. He gives us everything that we need. The New Testament describes the the relationship that we have with God in Christ. In the book of Ephesians, it describes the the riches of the glorious inheritance that is given to the church. The riches of an inheritance because we belong to God, we're his, and he is ours. And we gain this through the redemption that comes through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. You see, how do you destroy an idol? You see it for what it is, and then you find something better. Jesus. You and I take little idols and we we dress them up nicely. And yet think of how Jesus was treated. Jesus, on the night of his arrest, is mocked and scorned. Mark, the gospel writer, tells us in in Mark 15, that the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on Jesus. They twisted together a crown of thorns. They set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and they put on his his own clothes and they led him out to crucify him. This is what the people of Jeremiah's time were doing to their idols. Dressing them up and then bowing down to them. And yet Jesus willingly is treated as a worthless object. When the reality, I mean, you, 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 you and I can hear the irony in this. They're mockingly doing what they were meant to really do. Bow down and worship Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews, as the king of kings. You see, that's how, how Jesus conquers idols for us. He doesn't ask more from us, demand more time and money and energy to satisfy us. No, he gives us everything. Jesus willingly gives his life for us. Jesus is our portion. Jesus is our inheritance. And so toss the idols aside. Pursue the one who is worth having. Jesus, the
the creator of all things, Jesus, the king of kings, Jesus, who is the Lord Almighty. I invite you to bow your heads in prayer. Lord, I pray that as we have seen our own idols today, then more than that, we would have seen and heard of the glories of Christ. Lord, in each of our hearts, there is this tension, this desire for the good things that you've given us, this desire to make them the best things in life. Lord, dethrone the idols of our hearts. Let us worship Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Rescuer and Redeemer. Lord, let us see the glories of the gifts he has given us, the the good news of forgiveness, the grace of eternal life, the glories of, of a rich inheritance in his kingdom. Lord, for those who have who have never genuinely bowed in submission to Jesus, who have never turned from sin and put their trust in Christ, Lord, do that work in their hearts now. By your spirit, by the power of your word that has been read and proclaimed. Lord, be active in our hearts. Dethrone the idols that that capture our attention. Let us pursue you fully, wholly, completely. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Amen.